As we think of the wonderful love of God for us, one of the main reasons that we struggle with fully comprehending it after we're saved and after God has worked in our hearts is the fact that we live in a world controlled by one who does not want us to know the Lord. And so therefore our eyes get off of the Lord and onto this very present age in which we live. How would you feel if your spouse needing something for the house went next door to the neighbor and got some money instead of asking you if you're the husband? Or if your child needing help always went to another instead of coming to you? It'd break your heart, wouldn't it? Well, that's what we do. In our lives, we miss out on the relationship that God wants us to have because we are looking to this, the earthy existence that we're in, our temporal existence, and our needs are met, our desires are fulfilled to some degree, and our whole vision is much more down here in that sense than in a full, genuine relationship with God. But God wants us to have that glorious relationship with Him in which He answers our prayers, in which He communicates to us, leads and guides us and provides every need, uh, allows us to understand ourselves, and we are able to be partner with Him in full unity to accomplish His mighty will in our day. And that is His will, but we have to understand the danger of the temporal world in which we live. A man once said to D.L. Moody, now that I'm converted, do I need to give up the world? No, answered the evangelist, you need not give up the world. If you give a ringing testimony for the Son of God, the world will give you up pretty quickly. <laughs> they will not want you around. The problem is, we don't have that ringing testimony of the love of God shining through in our lives. And therefore, the world's pressure is upon us. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 5, a very helpful portion here on this great epistle that speaks of our fellowship with the Lord Jesus now in this day through the indwelling Holy Spirit. And the theme there through this great book is on abiding in Christ and having the depths of our heart's needs met by that wonderful, uh, full relationship we can have with our Savior. And we're going to see here how having the love relationship with God will then solve the problem of the world's hold upon our life. And frankly, when the world's hold is pushed away, life really begins for the believer. It really does. Let's look at verse 1, chapter 5. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, is born of God. And everyone that loveth him that begat loveth him also that is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. Let's look at the victory that overcomes the world. First of all, the response to God's love. Verse 1, 
talks about the fact that everyone who has put their faith in Christ as Savior is born of God, given new life. There's nothing more thrilling when you're a parent than to see the new life of that little baby. And for all of us, every little child is such a miracle, that life that, uh, that God gives. Well, when we're born again, we go from being dead in trespasses and sins because of our sinful nature, born of Adam. We are quickened. We are, we are uh, regenerated. We're given spiritual life. It is a new birth. We now become part of a new family. We have spiritual, eternal life. And we need to respond to that. And you'll notice that's exactly what it says in the second half of verse 1. And everyone that loveth him that begat. There is a love relationship with the Lord because he has begotten us. Through the finished work of Christ, through the will of the Father, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That great love has allowed us to be born again into the family of God. And just like a child has a natural love for the parents that uh, begat them, so we have and should have a love for the one that did that for us. And so everyone that loveth him that begat. And folks, let me just say that it ought not be a real mystery. If you are dwelling at all on what God has done for you, if you're a genuine born-again believer, uh, if you have trusted Christ, there has been a change. You have understood that God loves you. If you will just respond to who he is and what he has done, the Spirit of God will bring genuine love for him because he first loved us. That should be a natural, I should say a spiritually natural response to our Heavenly Father. We are members of his family and, uh, and we are ongoing having uh, love for him because we have an ongoing present tense relationship with the Lord. I am forever a child of God and so are you. You are a co-heir of Jesus Christ. You are in Christ positionally right now. You will, your eternal life doesn't start when you get to heaven. It started the moment that you were saved. And there's this glorious relationship, and we will be in our Father's house when we get to heaven. We will have that communion with Him. And so this reality needs to become more and more tangible and real in our spiritual life as, as we grow. And it comes out in gratitude. I've mentioned before the farmer that was uh, in a large city, and he was in a restaurant, and like he always did, he bowed uh, and prayed, didn't do it real quick. He prayed before the meal, giving thanks to God for it. And a young man sneeringly said, say, old man, back from where you come from, does everybody pray before he eats? The farmer quietly replied, the hogs don't. <laughs> and uh, it should be a natural response, obviously, for believers to realize that everything we are and everything we have is from the Lord. Since the Father is characterized as the God of love, the child born of Him should also be characterized as a child of love. Now think about that. You know, we bear resemblance to our natural parents, our, 
our genetic parents. And uh, it's always, I, I, I can pick out people. I know the parents and I can pick out the children or vice versa many times. It's fun to see that, the, the similarities that are there. Uh, there's no getting around it. Isn't it wonderful? We are begotten of God. We're made in the image of God, and then we have that spiritual likeness. And the more we allow him to work in our life, the more we are like the one uh, that uh, regenerated us. And the point here in verse 1 is that everyone that loveth him that begat should therefore naturally love him also that is begotten of him. In other words, all the other brethren. We need to have love for those that he has begotten. Back up in verse 20, you can see it there just before chapter 5. If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he's a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath not seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? This matter of loving other believers is a very important teaching of the Lord Jesus back in the upper room discourse and other times in his ministry and certainly here in the epistle of John, the first epistle. And so uh, we need to understand that as a born-again believer, we need to be very much appreciative uh, and, and having a love for uh, those that are part of our family. And uh, so that's, that should just follow. Uh, this love does not spring from something lovable in the person himself, but from his paternity. Uh, it's just a wonderful thing how you have that natural love for family. Beautiful Hebrew legend about two brothers who were side by side on adjoining lands. One had a large family and the other was single and lived alone. One night the former lay awake and he was thinking about how lonely his brother must have been. He said, I'm going to take some sheaves from my harvest and put it over in the, and, uh, here in the night just to be an encouragement to my brother. Well, the single brother at the same time thought about his brother, how that he had so many mouths to feel, feed and how it must be difficult to do that. He said, I'll take some of the sheaves from my field and I'll sneak over tonight and I will surprise him and have those there. And they met at the border <laughs> and uh, realized what each other were doing and had a warm embrace. Well, we all, can't we understand that? You know, if you have a good family relationship, that is just the way it is. You want to seek the welfare of the one that is loved. However, there is a problem. It's called the old flesh, self. It certainly hinders natural families, doesn't it? You know, the warmest affection and love is found in families, and some of the deepest hatred and hurt is also found in families. And so it is in the spiritual family. And God is very, very concerned because if we indeed have self over love for those that are begotten of God like we are, if we do not have that spiritual love for the family, we are clearly out of fellowship with the Heavenly Father. That's his point here. And so we need to realize that this is something that is key, and it's said over and over here, uh, it's key for God's work to go forward. 
Uh, in his seminary class, I love this illustration about Dr. A.T. Robertson, just a tremendous scholar in languages especially. He noted that in heaven all of God's children will love one another. Then he remarked, since that is true, we should practice loving one another while we're here on earth. <laughs> so we need to, I've thought about, you know, uh, there's going to be a little embarrassment when we get to heaven. And uh, you're going to realize you work right on everything. And uh, there is going to be a wonderful relationship. But God wants us to live in the heavenlies now. This is the mark of our, cre our, our salvation. This is the powerful testimony to a lost world that God is love. That love is seen. Behold, as the old Roman historian said, how they love one another, speaking of the early church. And the Spirit of God can change our spirit uh, Taylor will take a piece of absorbent paper over and put it over a spot of grease and press down on it with a hot iron. Why does he do it? The heat melts the grease and the paper absorbs it. And real love absorbs the spots in the lives of others and also helps them feel the warmth of our heart for them. Much could be said about that, but I want to continue on because we're getting to the world here and I've got to move quickly. Number two, we need to have a respect for God's love. Look with me at verse two. For this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. Now, I want you to stop and think about that. Isn't that a little bit inverted? Shouldn't it say, uh, how do we know that we love God well, it's because we love the children of God. Now, other places that's animated. But this is interesting. And this, this is a very important part. You can be guaranteed that a person who truly loves God is loving his brethren. I want to say that again. That's what it said. Look at, look at this. How do we know that we love the children of God? When we love God and keep his commandments. In other words, I don't even know, I need to know how you're treating your brothers and sisters in Christ and your family and even having a heart for the world. I don't even need to know that if I evidence the clear love of God and your heart of keeping his commandments because you love him. I can know how you're living. That's what it says. See, sometimes... We get the cart before the horse. Oh, I gotta love, I gotta love, gotta do this, gotta do that. Well, as we heard this week, the relationship with God is the empowering reality. As the love of God flows through us, the Spirit of God overcomes our flesh, and that love relationship with the Lord will immediately go into our relationship with others. You neglect your time with God, your family will suffer. You, on purpose, do not keep the heart of the Lord by keeping His commandments and putting Him first. I can tell you, you're going to struggle with other believers and with definitely with a lost world. So it's a very interesting perspective. We are able to love others because of our love for God. And of course, if we think about it, Galatians 5.22, for the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. And so... In short, love to God and love to the brethren confirm and prove each other. If either is found alone, it is not genuine. So, my love for God will impact my, my 
relationships and my relationship to the world. And this is seen because by keeping his commandments. We love God by keeping his commandments. Some of this is repeat from this week, John 14, 15. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. And we dealt a lot this week with performance acceptance, endeavoring to do in our own strength the work that will somehow please God. But we find here that God's love is in our hearts when we keep, when we protect, when we take to heart, when we join with God in believing that His commandments are right and that they honor Him and that they glorify Him and that they are the best for us. In other words, it's not just duty-bound keeping His commandments. It is a full embracing of the heart of God, realizing His commandments show forth who He is, His attributes, His beauty, His glory, and that all that He has told us to do is exactly right. He's the Creator. He is the Savior. Every word is something that is important to us. Jesus is the Logos, the Word, so everything comes flows out of who He is. The Holy Spirit inspired the Word of God, and so we embrace what He has commanded because we love Him. No problem. It's not a matter of lists. It's a matter of I... I want to please him. I want to embrace his heart. I want to be thinking like the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I want to have that oneness with God where I understand his purpose and what life is about and why he created the world. I want to to understand his love for me and for others. So if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, the Lord says. And... um, And so it's important for us to understand this is a present tense, cherishing, keeping what he has told us, valuing what he has said. So let's look at verse 2 again. By this we know that we love the children of God. How do we know if we're really loving others? Well, it's because we're clearly loving God, which is shown by our love for what he has said by keeping his commandments. Then look at verse 3, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. It's said very clearly in John 14 and 15, it's said also, and his commandments are not grievous. Uh, Folks, that's a lie of the devil. Everything God says is good. It's perfect. It's wonderful. I mean, it's something you ought to rejoice in. The minute you understand truth, man, I tell you, that ought to just, that's another jewel. Do not fall for the lie that God's commandments are grievous. Uh, And so new life puts a desire in us to do the will of God once we're saved, and we ought to have the joy of fulfilling His commandments. And we need to realize that His laws are for our protection and for our good. His statutes ought to become our songs, and the commandments need to be stepping stones to freedom. Freedom from self and glorious life that is liber is liberating. That's the opposite of what the world thinks, isn't it? And frankly, that's the opposite of what a lot of evangelical Christianity thinks. But that's what it says. But now I want to get to the, the key point here. What's the result of God's love? Look at verse 4. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. All right, let's get the whole picture here. We are begotten of God. 
And therefore, we are his children. And so if we are his children, we are going to love those that are our brothers and sisters in Christ and have that unity of relationship. And how are we going to know if we're really loving others? Well, we're going to know because we are totally devoted to God. We love him with all of our heart because we are cherishing what he has told us and we are living with an unhindered relationship with the Lord, asking the Spirit of God to keep us honest, open, and humble, and allowing the Spirit of God to cause us to walk in his way. And therefore, it is going to be that we love our families. We love the spiritual family. We love the world's uh, the people that are in it to reach them with the gospel. It will be a divine work in our heart. And so all of that builds here to verse 4. If you're born of God, which is the theme here, you can overcome the world because your mindset is totally different. You have a new life. You have the power to overcome the world. This is interesting. This is in the passive tense here, which means that the victory comes from God, not from you. The key in verse 4 and verse 5 is faith, believe, exact same verb uh, there in both of those verses. And so God will give us the power to overcome the world. Now we've got to understand that the, uh, well let me um, read Galatians 6.14. But God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. He said I need to glory in my Savior in my relationship with him because of the cross. And just as I was in him in his death, burial, and resurrection, and I have new life in Christ, that new life in Christ means that no longer does the world have hold on me anymore. That world that was used by Satan to destroy me and to put me as a servant and bring me down to where I do not know the truth and I would end up going to hell, that world is crucified unto me because I have new life in Christ and so therefore I don't have to be under its dominion any longer. And that's good news. And I unto the world. I'm dead to the world. Just like we're dead to sin, we ought to be dead to the world. Listen, when you are loving God, therefore loving your brethren, and that is shown in your love for what God has told you, well, then you see the world for what it is, and frankly, you don't have anything to do with it. You're just living in a totally different paradigm. So the key to overcome the world is to understand that the world, the culture of our world, is so much of it is under the control of the evil one to destroy us. Ephesians 2, 1 and 2, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. He has great power over the unregenerate world. 2 Corinthians 4, 4, And whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. And so we need to realize that when we love God, therefore we have a love for one another, and there is this walk with God in which we are just enjoying his fellowship. It is precious to realize how unconditionally he loves us. We're not trying to perform. We're not trying to live in the flesh. God is allowing us to live in the spirit. 
we're going to see the world for what it is. You're going to look around and say, oh boy, Satan's got a control of that. Now there are neutral things in our world culture. Obviously every culture is different, but there's a lot of things that all of a sudden your eyes get open and say, that's a blinding thing there. That's a trap over here. That's something that's trying to imprison me over here. That's trying to corrupt my mind. That's trying to tempt me, uh, as uh, 1 John chapter 2 says. And there's all kinds of things. Think about it. Most of secular culture brings a Christian down. But when you're walking with the Lord and you know the truth and you love it and the Lord is meeting your needs, the world doesn't need, you don't need the world anymore. And you've got illumination to be able to see the world for what it is. Now, we have to preach against different things of the world, and we will and we do. But I'm telling you, Christians get some pretty fine-tuned discernment when they really walk with God long enough. Their heart gets grieved when they see the, the world's traps. And, uh, and that's a mark that when we are that way, that the Lord is working in our heart. A worldly young Christian lady said to a dedicated Christian gal, she said, I would give the world to have your peace of mind. And the, Christ, the dedicated Christian said, that's exactly what it costs me, the world, with its sinful pleasures. There is a battle, but you can have the victory, and it's all about loving the Lord, believing that His Word is best. His commandments are right. Everything He teaches. In other words, we believe that we can have that relationship and that He will give us victory. Everything the Bible says becomes precious to us. It becomes just a glorious reality. And then you can say, no, I don't want the world. That's not, I'm not going to escape to that anymore. I'm not going to depend upon that to meet my needs. I'm not going to let Satan entrap me and stop me from serving the Lord. I don't want to lose my fellowship with God. I don't want to be hindered in my, in my family. Listen, every problem within family comes to earthy thinking and fleshly living. If uh, parents are really walking with God, there's unity in the home and there's unity with the children. A humble walk with God and a love for God. Man, when the love of God permeates, it's amazing. Same thing in churches, any ministry, when the love of God is first. And so the final thing is the focus that overcomes the world is Jesus Christ. Verse 5, who is he that overcometh the world? He that believeth that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is who he is, says he is. My friends, he's the creator God. And when you get a hold of the fact, you have the right to have fellowship with him. He loves you unconditionally. He will work. He will meet every need. Uh, that will cause you to say no to the things of the world that dim your vision for Christ and take away your love for the Lord and cool your affection for him. Oh, to see Christ. As Revelation 1.12, we'll read the whole passage but he turned to see the voice John did there and as he had a vision of heaven that spake with me. And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot and girt about with paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as wool, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. And it goes on to speak of the glory of our Savior as he is as I speak right now. That's exactly what he, how his appearance is. And I'm telling you, when you start getting a hold of that love relationship with the Lord, that one that John saw, the Spirit of God will make 
him more real to you, and literally that will burn in your heart spiritually when you realize who he is. Oh, what causes us to lose the pull of the world is to live in that relationship with the Lord. That's why loving his appearing, knowing that we have a job to do now, but loving his appearing keeps you from thinking this world is all that there is. Folks, this is but a speck in eternity. You realize what we have coming up? Man, I tell you what, our itinerary for the next few thousand years is pretty exciting. Okay. Uh, and the Bible tells us a lot of it. I mean, you, you may be thrown right now by world affairs. Uh, no, you need to be excited. First of all, I think people are more open than ever. So let's, let's serve the Lord. And that trumpet could happen and things could happen quickly. And so as believers, we need to real, be focused on Jesus. There's an inscription in the dome of the cap, our capital in Washington. A few people know about it. It states, one far off divine event toward which the whole creation moves. Well, the visitor asked, what does that mean? Why was that written? And the guide said, this speaks of the second coming of Jesus Christ. When the dome of our capital was erected, some God-fearing official ordered the inscription to be etched in the dome of the seat of government, believing that this truth was vital, to look toward Jesus, not to the world. <laughs> Very wise, uh, uh, wise perspective. And oh, we should so love the Lord that we'd be like Horatius Monar as he drew the curtains of night and retired to rest used to repeat to himself the words as if in a prayer, perhaps tonight, Lord. In the morning, he awoke and looked out on the dawn of a new day and said, looking up to the sky, perhaps today, Lord. He expected the Lord to return at any moment. Was it to escape the ministry? No, he poured himself into ministry. It was because he loved his God. And his eyes were not on the world and trying to achieve here. His eyes were on the Savior. Oh, my friends, the love of God. God, we are begotten of God. We are his children. We're part of his family. We need to love the family of God. And we know, though, that we love the family of God, not by what we do for the family, but how much we love God and are actually cherishing and living out His truth in such a way that we are so in love with Him, this world has no hold on us, and the power of God can deliver us. Folks, that is what uh, the work of God in this day desperately needs, is people who live in that love relationship with God. Let's bow for prayer.